we've been following, of course, the big story of the day, and that was the funeral of Queen Elizabeth the second earlier today it was a day full of uh, ceremony uh, as great britain and the world said goodbye to queen elizabeth the 96 year old british monarch the service drew not only leaders but everyday people from right around the globe it was the uk's first state funeral since winston churchill's in 1965. we saw Ahead of the service, a bell toll 96 times, once a minute for each year of Elizabeth's life. Uh, 142 Royal Navy sailors using ropes to draw the gun carriage, carrying her flag-draped coffin to Westminster Abbey before the pallbearers took it inside the church. There were about 2,000 people inside from world leaders to healthcare workers. Of course, we know you've seen that coffin draped with the royal standard. Atop it sat the imperial state crown, the sovereign's orb, along with the scepter as well. We'll see that again when King Charles III uh, has his coronation. The service drew to a close two minutes of silence across the UK. Then the national anthem was sung, God Save the uh, King. And then there was that magnificent procession out of Westminster to the Arch and then up to Windsor Castle, filled with so many little tidbits and so much, of course, planned minutely, specifically by the Queen herself over the past many, many years. Dr. Serka Bowes is a lecturer in the Department of English and Literatures at the University of British Columbia. She has expertise in the British royal family and British culture. Dr. Bowes, welcome back to the show. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Were you up early today? Did you watch it live? I did watch parts of it live, uh, but it was the middle of the night, so um, <laughs> I, I was able to watch some of it and then some of it later. So, as you were as you were watching it, what what went through your mind? Well, I was thinking of all the people who were watching it, members of the public who had waited for so many hours to watch this, and I thought that it really matched what people were wanting to see uh, all of the pageantry all of the pomp and circumstance and I think it matched really people's needs to see a, a great deal of respect that level of respect kind of um, demonstrated through all of that ceremony I think they felt comforted as we could see from the interviews that uh, the public had with various members of the press I think that it was indeed something that made them feel that there had been some acknowledgement of a national grief and also a, a certain kind of picture of national identity. Mm. Um, I thought the music was well chosen. A lot of the hymns that were sung in the church itself, they were very carefully chosen by the queen um, to, to reflect a, a hymn that was sung at Queen Victoria's funeral, mm. um, a hymn that was sung at her own wedding, a very favorite, uh, The Lord is My Shepherd, and so on. So um, there was a great deal of thought to the whole picture, to the whole sound of this funeral. Um, and, yeah, I would, 
You, you touch on a couple of things there, Dr. Bose, and I wanted to ask you specifically about it because when we, as we heard more, I mean, you, you can, I, until you see it unfold, we don't know what it's going to look like. Only those who have worked on those documents and those plans would have known, um, you know, the background of, of many of the, um, the hymns, for example, that were chosen. But as you said, you know, the Lord's my shepherd, uh, a favorite of the Queen, sung at her at her wedding to uh, the Duke of Edinburgh uh, so many years back. But that just, there's something about that just makes it even more personal. And I, I don't know, it, it made it feel a little bit more special knowing that the Queen's fingerprints were all over this. Yes, it did. And even the choice of flowers mm -hmm. that were on the coffin, because the flowers came from Balmoral, from uh, Highgrove, from Buckingham Palace, and they eat, they all meant something. The colors meant something. The flowers meant something. You had oak for steadfast, steadfastness. You had myrtle for love and marriage. You had rosemary for remembrance. So every little touch, even while it was such a public spectacle, there was a personal touch in mm -hmm. everything something sentimental in every part of what was chosen. The Archbishop of um, Canterbury, the most reverend uh, Justin Welby, during his um, his speech, uh, his delivery at, uh, at uh, the Abbey, said that the Queen, quote, touched a multitude of lives and then went on to quote singer Dame Vera Lynn uh, saying, we will meet again as he gave the sermon. And I thought that that was interesting as well, because that phrase, of course, was used by the Queen in uh, an address to the nation at the beginning of COVID. But of course, I wonder how much of it was a tribute to her wartime service as well, because that was such a popular song at that time. I think it was a, a very interesting choice that brought together both uh, modern society as well as um, the older generation who w would have lived through the war and would have experienced many of the things she experienced as uh, a young woman growing up during the war so I think it kind of linked generations we saw as um, as her casket made its way to Windsor, we saw uh, the staff lined up outside of the castle. We finally saw the corgis, and I think everyone was wondering about the corgis as well. We saw her pony. I mean, there were so, there were so many things that that were just so touching and and powerful in their just being there and, and, and not necessarily being there. like who's going to get all bent out of shape about a pony being there but it was the queen's pony and when he when he pawed at the ground it was like oh my gosh that was almost on time it was uh, it was <laughs> remarkable really it was all these little moments and uh, starting with when um people heard the news of her death and you saw the rainbow that was over buckingham yeah. palace yeah. and over windsor and all these little touches all these little things that were very human very uh in some ways very romantic as well the thought of these animals who are <laughs> uh who are, who need to be there as much <laughs> as right. the humans and um and also you know the town of windsor i, I used to 
stay there quite often um, when I was a student. And that town is full of people employed by her. And there's a, a sense of a very personal loss, I think, in that town, um, as in some of the other places near Balmoral, for example, where there was a community that really felt she was she was part of their community. And there's that sense of personal loss. So seeing all those people, sometimes 20 people strong in one lining the long that was very a very powerful image emma the pony and muick and sandy the corgis i just wanted to throw their names out there because people had been asking so we know that the um the uh the the um the official state of mourning for the UK will come to an end, but the royals will stay in mourning for some time longer. Dr. Bose, what does it look like when that mourning period ends and King Charles now tries to put his stamp on the monarchy? What are you, what are you anticipating in these weeks and months ahead? the royal family eases back into their professional lives as working royals serving the public, I think we'll see that in many ways, in quiet ways, they'll continue the work that had been started doing the Queen's reign, um, work that had been really uh, a lot of times initiated also by the Prince of Wales as he was then, by the Duke of Edinburgh as well. There, there are many kinds of enterprises that support uh, various communities who need various kinds of support. And we'll see, I think, members of the royal family actively engaging, as they have done before, but perhaps more visibly so, as uh, the weeks carry on. I think they'll simply in, in, slowly, quietly, uh, but very efficiently incre increase their engagements now that King Charles is not going to be able to continue with some of the engagements he would have continued with before since he has to do the work of the monarch. I'm going to put you on the spot here before I let you go and because I think there's a lot of memories that uh, stick out over the past, uh, you know, 10 days, you know, the vigil of the princess, the princes, but included a princess this time when uh, the four children, um, you know, uh, stood guard at, um, at her casket, when the grandchildren did that, all very powerful. Um, you know, seeing the dogs, hearing the music. What's going to stand out for you the most over the past 10, 11 days? Well, in addition to seeing those queues of people lining up for 10 hours, 20 hours, including a cousin of mine who is mm. a um, who has cancer, but mm. she insisted on standing in line for 10 hours because she felt that the queen symbolized for her a, um, a country that cared for uh, the health of its citizens. Huh. And she wanted to pay her respects. But uh, I, I would say that in terms of the royal family, what's really stood out for me was King Charles's face mm. as he saw the crown removed from the coffin mm. and placed on the uh, altar when he saw the Lord Chamberlain break his staff yeah. of office. Uh, much the look on his face and the sound of the bagpiper disappearing. That felt very final, very moving to me. Yeah, goosebumps right there, Dr. Bose. Thank you so much for joining me. Always appreciate your perspective. Thank you. 
Thank you very much. Yeah, take care. And Dr. Sarah Kabos joining me this afternoon, uh, of course, from the UBC with a, with a background expertise in the British royal family and British culture.